As a 21-year-old, I had the privilege uh, and adventure of backpacking alone through Europe. As adventures and mishaps often follow me, I had my backpack stolen three days into my trip. And having taken three years to convince my mother to allow me to go on this trip alone, I would not call her and admit to her that things were not going as planned or she would have demanded immediately for me to fly back home. Therefore, without a backpack and without money, I had to resort to asking, you can call it begging, for food. And by God's wonderful provision, many wonderful people I met bought me lunches and dinners after I told them of my story and of my plight. During the trip, my travels took me to Budapest, Hungary, in Eastern Europe. As I was milling around the main city square, striking up conversations with people sitting around the outdoor cafes, they would often approach me wondering what a single Asian man was doing in Eastern Europe. I will tell them all my stories, of my adventures, and of my plight, and they would often respond with great kindness. In that city square of Budapest, I met a group of very kind Americans who said they would buy me a free meal, but I had to do something. They told me it was July the 4th, and I had lost track of the dates as you travel, and that meant it was American Independence Day. I asked, what would you like me to do? They said, we would like you, Stephen, to stand up on a chair we're going to set up in the middle of the city's main square. And in this former communist country, we want you to sing as loud as you can the U.S. national anthem. I was very hesitant to do this. But you know, I will pretty much do anything for food and free food at that. And I told them I would do this. And so they pulled out a chair and set up in the main square of Budapest with the hundreds of people who were sitting in the outside uh, cafes. And there I got up on that chair and stood proudly with my hand to my heart. And I began to belt out the first few lines of the American National Anthem, the Star-Spangled Banner, Oh, say can you sing. This started to attract, of course, the surrounding gaze of hundreds of people uh, who were uh, enjoying a leisurely afternoon in the outdoor cafes. And they started to stare. I had no idea whether they were going to throw things at me. I had no idea whether they were going to boo me or kick me out by the authorities. But then something amazing happened. The people around the cafes started to sing with me. Of course, I have to admit that some of them were drunk. Uh, But there they were, uh, singing as loud as I was, the U.S. national anthem in a foreign Eastern European country on the 4th of July... And there I was, leading these massive people, this rendition of the national anthem. We finished the song, everyone was cheering, and I was no longer homesick, finding many new American friends, and even had a great free meal. It was a memorable event in my life, and something I will never ever do again. The culture of which we are a part is a culture that is generally more reserved. We don't want to draw attention to ourselves. We don't want to make news about ourselves. 
we generally keep to ourselves. But interestingly enough, as you read through the Scriptures, the Bible challenges us towards doing something quite different. Our Lord calls us to stand out from amongst the crowd, to be different. We are to call the attention of the world to us, and we are to live our lives to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. What does the Bible teach us about standing up and standing out? That's what we want to take a look at this morning. If you have your Bibles, I'd like to encourage you to turn with me to the book of Philippians, chapter 2, as we continue our study in this series entitled, Life in Color, Living Joyfully in All Circumstances. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 to 18. If you're new to the Bible, that's in the New Testament towards the back of your scriptures, your Bible. Paul continues his letter to the Philippian Christians in this section. He begins with a commendation. Look what he writes in verse 12 of Philippians chapter 2. He says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Paul begins with a commendation. He commends the Philippian Christians on their obedience. They obeyed the Lord, their God, and they obeyed His commandments, even though their spiritual father, Paul, was not with them. Paul's desire for them was that they would continue to obey. The Greek word, hypakouen, has the idea of obedience, with the idea of hearing and submitting to what they hear. You see, Paul wanted these Philippian Christians to be humble enough to learn in obedience what the Holy Spirit was continually teaching them. You see, the Christian life is not about simply learning a lesson and forgetting it. It's about continually obeying what God desires for each one of us so that we can live a life that is holy and pleasing before Him. Paul wanted them to be ready to obey based on what they had heard, even if it required change on their part. My friends, is this something that God can commend you on? Do you hypakouen? Do you obey with the intention of change? You see, there's so many of us who have grown up in this church. There's so many of us who, who come in week in and week out, and we've heard countless sermons. But do you listen with the intention of changing? Because if you don't, then you're simply wasting your time. You're only going to the motions. But this was something the Philippian Christians did, and this was something that Paul commended them for. Paul continues at the end of verse 12. He tells them to work out your own salvation, work out your own salvation with fear and with trembling. Now, now what in the world is Paul saying here? What does working out your own salvation mean? You see, in this context, Paul was talking about something we call present salvation. You see, there are three aspects of our salvation. There's our past salvation, when we accepted Christ as our personal Savior, and we call that justification, when we are declared righteous. And then there is our future salvation, that day we get our glorified body when we are with our Savior in the process called glorification. But between justification and glorification, we live our lives to be set apart for His use in something we call sanctification. 
Paul was talking about the idea of present salvation. He was talking about the process of sanctification. He says, work out your salvation. Work out your sanctification. Note the preposition he does not use. He does not say, work for your salvation. Because salvation was completed at the cross when Jesus died for us. And he said, tetelestai, it is finished. The work of salvation has been completed on the cross. But here Paul says, work out your salvation. It means put into practice daily what Jesus Christ has done for you. Essentially, what Paul was saying is this. Own your own faith. Make it personal. What does it mean to you? How does your belief in Jesus Christ affect his lordship in your life? My friends, the faith that you have must be your own. It must be personalized. Just because your mom and dad know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, just because you grew up in a Christian family doesn't mean that you are a Christian, nor does it mean you will be a Christian who walks with the Lord. I don't care how spiritually great your grandparents were or the spiritual legacy you have as part of your family's heritage. You must own your faith. I had a very godly grandmother. I had very godly parents. My father is a pastor, as you know. But that doesn't mean I automatically become godly as well. And in, as you know, it wasn't that case in my life for many, many years. It was when I came to a moment of crisis, when I had to decide, do I want Jesus Christ in my life? Do I want to have a personal relationship with Him? Do I want Him a part of my life? I had to make a decision to live my life for Him, and it must be a personal decision. No one could have forced me to do it, not even the pastor. It must be, this, it must be something that comes out of my life in response to what God has done. Sadly, with the great spiritual heritage that I have, there are many relatives of mine who do not walk with Christ and do not know Him. That's why Paul implores the Philippian Christians, work out your salvation, work out your faith. Figure out what your faith means to you. How does it affect your daily life? It should affect the way you live your life every day. Does Jesus Christ play a role in your life? Who is He to you? Do you actively pursue the will of God by keeping in lockstep with the promptings of the Holy Spirit? Are you willing to be a disciple for Him? And when you ask yourself this very important of questions, it must be with an attitude of fear and trembling, as verse 12 tells us. Take it seriously. It is a serious matter. We serve a holy God who is all-powerful, and the position we come from is from one who is weak and utterly dependent upon Him. And yet God gives us the responsibility and the privilege of making the decision whether we are to walk with Him or not. It's not a joke for Him. He wants us to seriously ask ourselves the question, how do we want to relate with Him in this life? Now for some of you, you think, wow, this is an impossibility. Pastor, you don't know my life's background. You don't know what I'm going through. And I don't. That's why Paul continues in verse 13 with this great verse of encouragement. So that it has become evident to the whole, excuse me, 
verse 13 of chapter 2. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure. God says, this is what I desire for you to do. And in verse 13, God says, I give you the Holy Spirit who will help you in this endeavor. My friends, we are not alone. By the enabling power of God the Holy Spirit, we can live at the pleasure of our Lord and live for His purpose. And it's an amazing to think about the fact that when God wants us to do something, He doesn't let, it, let us go at it alone. He enables us to be victorious. He enables us to accomplish our goals. He gives us everything we need to succeed. It's one of the most assuring verses in the Bible. That through Him who works in us, we can be victorious. We can accomplish what He wants us to do. My friends, as you work out your salvation by owning your faith and living it out daily, empowered and enabled by the Holy Spirit, there is an important reminder. And that reminder is in verse 14. Look with me. Do all things without complaining and disputing. The emphasis is on the totality of everything that we do. In everything that we do, we are not to complain. We are not to argue. You see, when you work at your faith and when you work out your salvation, and when you say, Lord, I want to live a sanctified life, I want to live at your pleasure, God may ask you to do certain things you don't want to do. He may ask you to do certain things, to give up certain things in order to glorify Him and to fulfill His purpose. And since you don't want to do it, you begin to negotiate with God. You begin to complain. You begin to argue with Him. But the admonition and the reminder in verse 14 is that we are not to do so. What God calls you to do when you work out your faith is not up for negotiation. You don't get to set the terms in your obedience. As I struggled with God's call in my life and God's purpose, you can succinctly put my struggle in three no's. I said, God, I will live for you. I want to live a righteous life, a sanctified life. But there are three no's. There are three things I do not want you to make me do. I said, Lord, first of all, I don't want to be a pastor. Call me to do anything else. I'll be a doctor, I'll be a lawyer, I'll be a businessman. But, but please, Lord, not a pastor. Not a missionary, not a minister. I don't want to be a pastor. The second no in my life, as some of you know, is I don't ever want to move back to the Philippines again. I don't want to come back. Lord, call me to Africa. I saw the pictures from South Africa. They look really nice. You know, call me to China. Call me to Australia. Call me to South America. I hear Costa Rica is great, and they need the Lord there. Call me to Europe. Christianity is dying over there. Call me to sunny California. Just don't call me to the Philippines. The third note of my life, which I struggled greatly with, is, Lord, 
I don't want to marry someone who's Chinese. Don't ever want to marry someone who's Chinese. Now, as to the reasons why, that's a different story for a different sermon. But I struggle with this, really. And God has a great sense of humor. God says, if you want to obey my will and if you want to obey my purpose, this is how it's going to go. You're going to marry someone who's Chinese who's going to be a wonderful helpmate for you as you minister in a Chinese church in the Philippines as their pastor. Game? Lord, can I change it up? Nope, nope. No complaining. No arguing, no disputing. That is the very nature of why we are called to work out our faith because you need to come to a point in your life when you say, Lord, I'm willing to do anything that you want me to do. But that question must be asked of you, are, are you willing to do everything that God calls you to do? Because this attitude will not only build unity in the church, but it will be an example to the community of which we live and are called to influence. It is leading by example. You see, how can you complain about the church the very church you want to invite others to come to? How can you teach and complain about humility and servanthood and the position of, of that which we are called to do and then complain about it? How can you complain about forgiving one another and then asking them to forgive you? How can you complain about God doing this and that and then inviting another person to accept him into his life? This admonition and reminder is good for us. Do all things without complaining and disputing because the world is watching and God is watching. Remember our sermon series in the book of Numbers entitled From Grumbling to Gratitude? We talked about the children of Israel and how their grumbling and constant complaining and arguing eventually changed their heart. Their hearts were hardened and it caused them to move away from God. So it is in our case. The more we complain, the more we argue with God, it hardens our heart and it draws us away from Him. Paul's point is this. If you want all of the blessings of the abundant Christian life, then you don't get to complain about what it entails. I hope you understand that. If you want the blessings that come with the Christian life, and there are so many blessings, then you don't have a right to negotiate what a Christian life entails. Paul says, work out your faith. God gives you the power to live your life for Him. But if you want to receive that blessing, do not complain about what it entails. Now, why would Paul give this reminder? Because in verses 15 to 16... Paul will give the Philippians three things that will result in them working out their faith and owning it. Paul will tell them three things they are to do and are to become in order to please God. And it is not subject to negotiation. It is not up for us to decipher which ones we want to follow and which ones we do not. What are the three reasons? Look at verse 15. That you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. 
the first result of working out your salvation is that you will live a blameless life, a life that is above reproach. Now, we get hung up on this word blameless. Blameless does not mean you are perfect. Blameless does not mean you do not sin. Blameless does not even mean that you are faultless. What it simply means is that you are above reproach. That means there is nothing you will do that will shame the name of Jesus Christ. It means there is nothing you have done that will cause people to think badly about Him and His church. And that there is nothing they can accuse you of. How do we live blameless life? It is the idea that we are not to mix with anything that would defile us. Basically, we are to have nothing to do with sin. We are to be repulsed by the lifestyle of this world. We are to hate the things that God hates, which is sin. We are not to condone the lifestyle that is condemned in the Scriptures, although we are called to love the people. And you can catch yourself to see if you are living a blameless life. Do you laugh at inappropriate jokes or do you share them? Do inappropriate words come out of your mouth? Do you begin to rant about others on social media? Do you tear them down? Do you laugh, smirk, or, or like things which God says is wrong and abominable? Because when you begin to do those things, then you are no longer living a life above reproach. You are now succumbing to the worldview of this perverse, crooked generation. And along the same lines, the Bible says, you are to be without fault. Meaning that there is no justifiable criticism while living in the midst of a twisted generation. But the reality is, we accept this twisted generation. We live a life that is no different from others. And so why in the world would they want to come to know Christ when we are no different from them? Yes, they will be responsible for the decision they make, whether they accept Christ or not. But we better give them a compelling reason why they should come to Christ. What can your spheres of influence say about you? What type of environment are you living in and what are you doing to change it? What type of life are you living? I often use this illustration in youth conferences to give them this visual. My friends, you know the difference between a therm thermostat and a thermometer. There is a big difference. Both regulate temperature, but a thermometer merely tells you what the temperature, temperature is in a particular area. If your thermometer reads 30 degrees Celsius and the place that you place that thermometer in is 40 degrees Celsius, the thermometer will change to register what is the room temperature. It will change to its environment. It always adjusts to its environment. The thermostat, however, adjusts the room temperature. The thermostats are found in your air conditioning unit. If the thermostat is set at 30 degrees and the room is 40 degrees, the temperature of the room will change to conform to whatever that thermostat is reading. The room will then eventually become 30 degrees. My friends, this is how it is. Your life is either a thermometer or it is a thermostat. 
You can either blend in with the crowd or you can change the crowd. You either influence others or you are being influenced. There is no middle ground. Jesus calls us to become thermostats. But you will never find that verse in the Bible because it's not there. Because they did not have thermostats in biblical times. Therefore, Jesus used the term salt and light to communicate that we are to be agents of change in this world. When we walk into an environment, we do not change to become like them. The very presence of our Christ-like life should begin to slowly change the environment in which we enter. And that is what Paul reiterates in verse 15, the second part. Among whom you shine as lights in the world. The second result of working out your salvation is that we bring light to a dark world. Do you do that? We have the light of the world that indwells us. We have the light that a dark world so desperately needs. Is our light so diminished by sin that we are of no use to the dark world? What is the purpose of light? The purpose of light and the place of light is in a dark place to illuminate the darkness. You bring out the light when there is a blackout to illuminate the room. My friends, God has placed you as lights of the world in very dark places in your circles of friends and influences. What are you doing about it? Are you a candle that gives off no light? Because a candle that gives us no light in darkness is useless. And what do you do with useless things? You throw them away. Are you that candle that will not light itself because you're afraid to offend someone? Have you ever been driving down a small road where there are cars coming at you in a dark night? And what is especially annoying is when they have their high beams on. Uh, it's blinding. Why is it blinding to you? Because your eyes are adjusted to the darkness. And when that bright light hits, your eyes can't adjust that fast. My friends, that is the sort of blinding we are to do when we enter a room that is dark. Shall I say that we are called to make people uncomfortable in this world? The light of Christ should show radiate from our lives that we blind people. We make them so uncomfortable that it causes them to change the way they live. Now, I can tell you at this moment that Jesus Christ is with you wherever you go. He's watching you. And whatever you do, He's watching you. So please do not embarrass Him. And I'm sure you've heard that before from the pulpit. But somehow it doesn't affect you. Yes, yes, I know the truth. Jesus is watching me, and I don't want to embarrass him. But we often block that out in our mind. So let me change it up a bit. What if I show up? Now, I know hopefully you enjoy seeing me on Sundays, but you're probably praying, Lord, I hope I never see Pastor Steve Monday through Saturday. But if I happen to show up, 
wherever you are, whatever you're doing, would you be embarrassed? Would you? Because why should you be? I love when I go up and down Banawi because I also enjoy uh, the light snacks that uh, these milk tea places offer. And I know it's a hangout place for young people. But I can just sense it when I walk into a place, I see heads begin to bow. Not in reverence, but often in embarrassment. And I would hear, although they're whispering, but I have very sharp ears, the pastor is here. What's he doing here? He's not supposed to be here. And I find that kind of funny, and I would often like to go and just embarrass them. Uh, but I don't, uh, because I respect their uh, privacy as well. But, you know, these great students who, who I know well. Why are they so embarrassed? Because they're outside smoking. Because they've got their hands all over the bodies of people they're not married to yet. And sometimes they're with people who are not their spouses. And when the pastor comes, uh uh-oh. How you feel is what you're supposed to make others feel. Would you be embarrassed? Because my friends, as lights of the world, when you walk into a room where everyone is smoking, and we're not going to get into details whether smoking is in the Bible or not or drinking, but I'm just giving you an example. When you walk into an environment where the vices of life are there, does your presence cause them to put it out? When you're in a room with a bunch of drinking guys, drinking hard liquor, getting drunk, your presence, does it cause them to stop? Does it cause them to say, whoa, this person is here, we better not be doing, doing this? Does your presence and your sphere of influence cause them not to do things they're not supposed to do? Because if it is not, then you are not lights of this world. That candle which you are with the light of Christ in your life has not been turned on. It's still off. You're supposed to do it with love and grace. But that is not an excuse for you never to saying anything. Do you speak up when inappropriate things are said? Do you speak up when inappropriate words and actions are said or posted? Do you serve and do you shine as lights in this world? Now you may say, Pastor, that's so hard. They won't like me. Go back to verse 14. Do everything without complaining and arguing because you need to work out your faith first and how you want to live your life for the one who has died in your place. It is high time, my friends, that we as a church begin to shine as lights in this world. And we want to do so corporately in this community. We call the church as the body of Christ. And I want to help you in this. You may wish you were not here this morning so that you have an excuse that you didn't hear it from me, but you are here this morning. Ushers, lock the doors. I would like you to participate with me in what our church will call Blitz Banawi. As you know, and I mentioned a few weeks ago, that uh, uh, this area is becoming the second Chinatown. 
and people are claiming it for their own. The Buddhists are up and down the streets with their tzutze and, and their good works organization influencing the people living in this Banawi area for Christ. The Mormons are here. And they, in their black ties and name badges, are walking up and down the streets, bringing Mormon theology, a cult, to the men and women who live in this area. And we who have been here for 45 years in this area cannot cede this area to the devil. And so we want to claim this area for Christ. Along Banawi, to the west, Ditoisan, to the east, Araneta, to the north, Sergeant Rivera, and to the south, Quezon Ave. We want to influence this area for Christ. And it begins with awareness. They need to know that we exist. That's why today you will notice along Sergeant Rivera and Banawi two very large signs that tell the community about our church. Go and take a look. If you want, take a picture, but be careful. It's a busy street. We need to build awareness. Then we need to show the community that we care about them, that we love them, that we're not to bring them here because we want them to do something, but we are overflowing with the love of Christ that we want to share it with them. And we want this community to miss us when we're no longer here. And so that's the second phase of this campaign. And then, and only then, have we, as we've laid the foundation of awareness and of communal care, that we begin to evangelize them and tell them about the good news of Jesus Christ. You go this afternoon and tell them about Jesus Christ, they will reject you because they don't know who you are. They don't know what you're selling. That's why the, the multi-level marketers tell you, sell to your friends first. It's great marketing. But we're not trying to market Jesus to them. We so passionately want to tell them about the hope that we have. But we need to befriend them. And as God works, as we evangelize them, then we want to bring them into community and disciple them so that they can influence their families for Christ. This will last for years to come. This is not a one-shot deal. This is not, we'll do it this week and we'll forget about it and move on. But the first step of it is awareness. Because there are simply many people who don't know about us. They're the graduates who have left the school 20, 30 years ago. And they don't realize that we now have four services. Back in those days, that we only had one service. And sometimes the time was inconvenient. We are not the same church of 10 years ago, and we need them to know that. We have grown, we have improved. God is working in this place. Imperfect people are coming, and they're being transformed. They need to know that. We will not cede this area to the evil one, because he lost his control at the cross. And so I invite you to join with me these next two and a half weeks in this first phase of our awareness campaign called Blitz Banawi. Now I need you to participate. You're probably wondering what's Pastor Steve going to make us do. Go back to verse 14. First of all, you need to buy a t-shirt. I know the past two t-shirts, we've given them to you. 
but now we're going to make you buy it. To show your commitment, and also so we continue that the, the principle that we do not use your donations for things like t-shirts. It's only 50 pesos. You can afford it. If you really don't have money, I will buy you one. You, have, you are without excuse. If the line is long, as it has been long, these three services pass, it should still not be an excuse. Now, when you see this shirt, you may start to complain, I know. The color is so bright. It doesn't match me and my skin complexion. All the colors of the t-shirt have to be the same. So they can see that we are united. And there's a reason why it is bright, so that everyone can see. Simple as that. You may look at the shirt and you say, How come it has the name of our church? Grace Christian Church of the Philippines right in front. It's because it's a church t-shirt. All right? How come the young people say it doesn't have a cool font? Because it needs to be easily read. They need to be able to see it. It's a very simple shirt. And it only costs you 50 pesos. All right? So I hope you'll participate in this. Uh, the kid sizes and the uh, adult sizes, uh, like my shirt, will come next week. So you need to pre-order those. Those are specially made. They need to kill a lot more sheep wool to make my shirt and yours as well. So uh, you uh, just sign up, and so we will order it uh, uh, specially made for you. And you can get that next week. So that's the T-shirt part. Then as you go down the line, you can grab a church card. And we want you these next two and a half weeks to visit and patronize the restaurants and the uh, auto supplies or even the massage places, uh, the decent ones, um, in this area and all the other places there. And we want you to wear this shirt. And if you're not wearing this shirt and you run into me, I will look at you with eyes of condemnation. I will make you guilty. I'm watching you. I'm just kidding. But we, of course, do not force you to participate. We want you to. But um, we want you to so saturate this area that they know about us. We have thousands of people here. They should be seeing blue shirts every day. They should know that we are forced to reckon with for the sake of Jesus Christ. And that is your participation to help cause awareness. It's easy. So you who are on diets have my permission to eat as much as you want these next two and a half weeks. That's what I've told my wife. You have as much permission to get all the new car parts you need as long as you have money. You can get your car tinted 14 different times. I don't know. It's an opportunity. You know, yesterday we went to go take pictures of pictures I'm going to show you a little bit later as examples. And uh, remember a few weeks ago, we went to pass out those candies on Chinese New Year. When they saw our shirt, they said, oh, you guys are the candy people. You guys pass out the candy. And that's, that's the type of, of awareness we want. We don't want to come up to them and they're just closing their minds and saying, oh, you, you guys are the religious people. What else are you trying to sell? All right. Now, that's what everyone can do. That's what all of you can do. You're without excuse. However, I realized based on last week's sermon, as we talked about, that all of you like to take pictures of yourself. Call them selfies. We talked about this. Living in an egocentric world. And, and so as you wear the shirts, I am sure that the vast majority of you would like 
to have your pictures taken in this awesome-looking shirt. All right? And so we're going to do a little bit of participation in the game. We often don't like gimmicks, but this is not a gimmick. But we want you to participate because we want you to flood Facebook with these pictures. We want to create that awareness and buzz. And this is the part that most of all of you can participate. No excuses. If you don't have a computer, I'm not going to buy you a computer. But if you don't have computers, uh, which I think 90% of you do, then you can ask one of your children, your grandchildren. If you don't have a Facebook account, here's a wonderful way, an opportunity for you to set one up and spy on your kids. Um, if, you, if you don't have a camera, I, I would believe that you're lying because I've seen you at the children's program and there are more cameras than people there, all right? So that should pretty much cover all the excuses that you have. Now, how can you participate? Four things. First picture. First of all, we would like, as you go in these next two and a half weeks, wearing your shirts to this Banawi area, for sure you will meet old classmates, you will meet batchmates, you will meet friends of yours. We want you to go and we want you to give them a church card and invite them to church. We've done this before, and these are true examples of just us showing up uh, there yesterday and simply uh, chancing upon these people. Make sure you hashtag it. If you don't know what hashtag means, ask one of your young people, uh, kids or grandkids. But we need to know and track um, uh, who you come in contact with because we will give you a prize to the one who meets the most number of people and gives a card to them. Now, I promise you it is a good prize, all right? Because I realize that most of you would do it because you love Jesus and you love this church. But then I'm also realistic knowing that most of you only do things for prizes all right so that's why we have a prize you go and as you're patronizing this restaurant uh uh you will meet upon someone and what a great opportunity you don't need to go around all the tables you simply meet upon someone and ask them if you can take your picture with them but please be sure to patronize these establishments your job is not to go into restaurants and simply pass it out to all the customers there. They will not like you. They will kick you out. We don't want these store owners thinking that we are a nuisance. We want them to understand that as we go in, we patronize them. We are kind. We are kind. And we will go and be great witnesses. Now, I forgot if I mentioned this, but I'll mention it now. As you wear these t-shirts and eat at these restaurants, make sure you tip them well. Please, please. We do not want them to think that the folks at GCCP are very cheap. You represent Christ in those shirts. Give them their fair wage. Secondly, if you're wearing this shirt as a family, please do not yell at your kids in the public space. All right? Please do not yell at your spouses. While I realize this is a fact of life, I have kids myself. We don't want them to think that somehow we're just really all angry people with short fuses. If you need to yell at someone, please change shirts and then yell at them. <laughs> it's very simple. But anyways, you know what I'm talking about. You will meet so many people and you hashtag it and you tag it well. We will tell you in three weeks who met the most number of people uh, in this uh, competition now the second the, the the second uh group is this second picture for sure it should be as thousands of you wearing this shirt for two and a half weeks will be going through this entire area for sure you will meet other people with the same shirt you don't have to assume do they go to church 
Yes, they went to church because they have a t-shirt. Here's your opportunity to be friendly, to go meet new people. And so we want you to do is we want you, as you meet someone wearing a shirt, you don't know them, they don't know you, you become friends. And you ask them to take a picture with you and both of you will get credit. And the most number of chance encounters will also win a prize. Now, as I remember this picture, uh, uh, make sure you don't take a picture in the grocery store because you're not allowed to take a picture at the Robinson grocery store at Z Square because we were kicked out. All right? I'm just telling you now so that you're not embarrassed. But uh, you can chance encounter these people and get to know uh, people you've never met before. And, and Because we don't want everyone wearing these shirts in a restaurant and no one talking to each other. They're thinking we are the unfriendliest people. All right? We want them to see something is different about this community. All right? You understand? Uh, that's hashtag Blitz Encounter. The third one is easy. All right? The third one is real easy. Just grab a bunch of you, the most heads in a picture wins. And everyone in the picture gets a prize. That's a simple one. All right? So you have a family of 30 people, you may win. I don't know. All right? So that's an easy one. Now, the last one is for the life groups, and we have so many, and, or just other groups uh, you have. And here's what we want you to do. We want you to use your creativity. We want you to use your creativity to, 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 to creatively create a scene from the Bible, all right? An appropriate scene. Uh, and uh, the most creative, we have a panel of judges that will judge and announce the winner. You can't use this one. This was the corny idea with the pastoral staff. This is Jacob dreaming at Bethel, all right? Do you remember the story from Genesis 28? Jacob is dreaming, and he's dreaming, and he sees angels going up and down uh, to heaven. That, that's, that's it. Please, please, do not block off the escalators. We did this early in the morning when no one was still there, all right? Uh, do not be obnoxious. Do not get in the way. And I'm looking with excitement to see how creative you guys will be. And this is part of the joy of our church. But this, this part of uh, the awareness, uh, th- you don't all have to do it, but we encourage you to do so. And post them. We're going to share uh, as a community um, uh, these things. But first step is just simply wearing the T-shirt and, and, and doing it. I know you may not want to do it. And you know what? Honestly, uh, we have never forced you to do anything that you're not comfortable with. But I think as this church rallies and learns what it means uh, to be the light of the world in very tangible ways, then it will get easier. Because how in the world will you then be able to open up your mouth and tell them about Jesus Christ with your life when you can't even wear a shirt of the church you're going to? Very quickly, verse 16, the third result. Holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Paul basically tells us in verse 16 that the third result of working out your faith and living a life of sanctification is that we are to hold on to the Scriptures. This is a generation of moral relativity where there is no right and wrong. Everything is permissible, everything is allowed. But we have the Bible that tells us how we are to live, regardless of what the rules the world has set. Now, we're going to expound on this principle later on in the series, so we're not going to talk at length about it now. But Paul says, if you hold on to the truth of the Scriptures, when you shine as lights, 
When you live a blameless life, Paul says, it will be worth it all for me. I will not have labored in vain. Then he closes this section in verses 17 and 18. Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason you also be glad and rejoice with me. Paul ends this section by telling the Philippian Christians that the possibility of his dying and martyrdom is very real. But you know, for Paul, being a light bearer in a dark world was, was a privilege. He found it in verse 17, in it, verse 17, great joy. Since the first day of his conversion on the road to Damascus, Paul found great joy in shining as lights in a dark world. Have you found that joy? It's an amazing joy. Because Paul tells the Philippian Christians in verse 18, and he tells us as well, find that joy in your life of being lights in a dark world. If you can't find that joy, then you are useless as a candle that refuses to light itself up. And why are you useless? Do you fear that you will offend someone or that they won't like you? Okay, you can feel that. But here's my point. One day when you stand before the Lord, when you stand before the one who died for you and you stand before the one who gave you eternal life and gave you blessings and gave you a victorious Christian life and gave you gifts beyond measure, then you tell him why you could not shine as lights because someone else won't like you. That's a tough explanation to swallow. Maybe quite embarrassing. May it be for our church and every one of us that when we meet our Savior on that glorious day, when He asks us, how bright were you for me? With a great smile on your face, you will answer, I was blinding. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. It's a great encouragement to myself, and I hope a challenge to many here. It's not easy to live as lights in this world because we want to be so accepted. We want to have a lot of friends. We want people to like us. We're not called to be likable. We're called to be influencers. May each of us in our spheres of influence and our circle of friends in the dark places you have strategically put us in, will we shine so bright that when we see you, the one who died in my place, in our place, we will, with great joy and for the glory of God, tell Christ just how blindingly bright we were. May this church be that light upon a hill, seen by all as the place of abundant grace. In Jesus' name we pray.